0: Thank you so much for listening to Honestly Unorthodox. If you've ever thought about starting your own podcast, but just don't know where to start, have no fear. Pretty Easy Podcast is here to get your podcast off the ground and sounding great at an extremely affordable rate. Pretty Easy Podcast helps new and seasoned podcasters by providing production, editing, and podcast management assistance. With Pretty Easy Podcasts, you can focus on your show's content while having a reliable tag team partner handle any and all of the technical aspects of podcasting to help your show sound great. As someone who clearly loves to hear themselves speak, I am completely uninterested in learning all of the mechanics of the technicalities of podcasting, the editing, and even the uploading of certain digital material that's needed to make this podcast sound as great as it does. And Pretty Easy Podcast has taken care of all of that for me, and they continue to indulge my love for getting all of this information out to you without any stress and any concern. You can go to prettyeasypodcast.com and get started today. Working with Alan and Melissa really has helped me avoid these roadblocks that so many podcasters run into with the recording, the editing, the feed management, whether you're new to it or you already have a show, going to prettyeasypodcast.com really makes podcasting just that, pretty easy. And now let's get to the show. He who fights monsters should look to it that he himself does not become a monster. I am on the unfettered pursuit of truth. I'm Kayla Perry, and this is Honestly Unorthodox. All right, everybody, welcome back from a small hiatus to Honestly Unorthodox today. What better person to help me usher in a little... Relaunching from a short break, then Alex from cancelled Counselors. He was what? What was it? Your our third guest, fourth guest,
1: something pretty early,
0: something super early. You might have been my first guest, actually.
1: No shit, really. I
0: think, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Oh fuck! It might have been you or Meryl. I think it but- might have been Meryl because I think I Meryl. listened to one. Okay, yeah. Did you survive that one?
1: <laughs> oh, why wouldn't I?
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. How have you been? Because the last time we talked, we were talking about private practice and you were kind of just getting going-ish.
1: Yeah. Right? It's much so more how's more that been going? Me. Yeah. Much better.
0: Has anything changed about therapy since the last time we talked for you in terms of treating people?
1: Uh, huh. That's a good question. In some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Portland is still Portland. Yeah. But private practice does attract a very different clientele, I found. Really? Yeah.
0: Different from like the media representation of Portland, I guess I should say.
1: That's fair to ask. Yeah, I think (laughs) because it does kind of come down to how the individual practitioner kind of presents themselves online versus like a group or like community mental health. I think that's a large part of it of like, when people are looking for providers, they're looking for some of those catchwords of like, who am I? Am I seeing myself reflected back? And in some ways that can be really great with a group, but there's caveats to it, just like everything else. So I've found personally for myself, when I put myself out of the way I want to present, the people that I'm looking for are naturally going to find me
0: So there was a a recent video. I don't know if you had seen it on social media or on YouTube, but there um, Peter Bogosian and a few of his colleagues were out at Portland State. And you were right. Yes. Yeah.
1: And I I saw the courtyard they were at and had some. Really? Come back up.
0: Yeah. There were, there were some uh intense reactions to to that so what i'm hearing is that the people you serve are quite different from that sort of i guess representation of what people might think
1: portland is generally i mean the stereotype isn't incorrect like i think portland's reputation is definitely earned don't get me wrong But just like everything else, if we make too broad of a generalization, we're going to miss a lot of the nuance of other people that do exist in those spaces.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Which leads me to some of your banger social media posts recently about therapy as a whole um, and how the... The need for therapy is shifting, or, or maybe it isn't. To me, it's it feels like it's shifting. And the overall perception of therapy uh, moving in a direction that it never, I've never seen people perceive therapy the way that it is yeah. now. I'm going to read a couple of your, what would you call it? Slides, carousel thingies. I don't know the Instagram lingo. I don't either. <laughs> Out loud. Okay. I'm going to read this first one. You can care about socio-political issues without adopting a fundamentalist framework. Mm -hmm. Okay. Tell me more.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think you can care about topics like racism, sexism, classism, transphobia, homophobia, whatever, without bringing it to a place of reductionist thinking and identity essentialism. If we collapse really complex issues onto these few things, you're by nature going to miss other dimensions that add the richness and complexity to what's happening. But part of what's going on, which I'm sure because we're talking about the Portland is that that's part of what these things are known for is okay. It all comes down to identity and power Mm -hmm. and bias and privilege. And frankly, it just misses too much of the mark.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It, a few people have related this to uh, like a religious fundamentalism. And when you look at how, people behave within these groups and these unwritten rules that they all engage in. It, it reeks of like, a. it just reminds me of people that have escaped religious cults and, and have <laughs> lived the, to be able to recount their experience of it. It's kind of scary actually how, uh, how groupish we have become. And when all of this started, when did you think this started? Like around when George Floyd was killed or was it, Kind of do you mean before. therapy or do you
1: mean as like a subcultural phenomenon?
0: As like a subcultural issue. Oh,
1: I'd go way back before that. I'd say like probably when I was still in high school in like 2011. You think so? Like really? Yes, because Tumblr.
0: Oh, because things were starting to be more accessible online.
1: Yes. So when I went to college, I went to a private Catholic school. And I was like one of only five out people. When I went to U of O to go to college... Holy shit, like my world was totally turned upside down because everyone was suddenly talking Tumblr speak. And in my world, out in like rural suburbia, people who talked like that were fucking assholes. Like they were the hipsters that always wanted to be special, you know? Right, right. That was like it wasn't viewed positively. And then I went to UFO where Tumblr culture, like the social justice warrior, like was the norm. And huh. suddenly, like I was like the bad queer because I didn't care about oh. all this shit, and I was like, "Wait, what?" But for me, I was having an identity crisis because, like, well, I want to learn about queer culture coming sure. from school. I want yeah. to like learn, and then all of a sudden, I was immediately pushed out. But because we're social creatures, and I wanted to have social relationships, I adopted some of it. And that is a whole different story, but like, it was prevalent everywhere. And you couldn't fucking, you know how people will shut down conversations because you said something like without a minor adjustment to display, I don't know, that you're part of a morally superior ontological group. Like that was happening then. So I, and I'm sure there's stuff before Tumblr too, but Tumblr is what I kind of pointed towards around like 2013-ish where everyone was taking it way too seriously and in way too simple and literal of a interpretation.
0: Wow. Yeah, because you know, now that you say that the whole Tumblr saga, Jonathan Haidt talked quite a bit about the the iPhone and that was around twenty twelve. I don't know, maybe it was a little bit before that.
1: It was before that.
0: Was it twenty was was it two thousand seven? Was it yeah. 2007? Okay, maybe I'm mixing up my dates here. But, yeah, but even cool. 2007, that wasn't that long ago. So, mm-hmm. I mean, for something to evolve into what this whole thing has become now, was it seems relatively quick. I mean, the world feels like it's falling apart. But then I wonder sometimes... When we we all go off into our lives and we do all the things we need to do and we spend time mostly with people, not that agree with us, but share similar values, let's say. Do you find that we're overblowing some of these issues a bit?
1: You mean in the sense of it being exaggerated? Yeah. I would say so. And I'll just preface like that's my opinion.
0: Mm -hmm. but.
1: If I were to go around the world thinking that everyone who misgendered me was, like, oppressing me or displaying some Mm -hmm. sort of, like, internalized oppressive system, like, one, that's a really sad worldview. And I'm not going to do well in that worldview because it's not healthy. Yeah. And second, like, what is that going to serve for the relationships? So, yeah, I do think some of it's exaggerated. I don't think all of it's unimportant. Like, clearly, these are things that still exist. But we do have to come in contact with reality of like, okay, how much is this materially affecting me and how much of this is my perception of it being kind of distorted?
0: Yes, that's such a good point, because I find that in my day to day, in work, spending time with people, conversations and then all the other things that I do. These topics don't naturally just come up. And I don't actually see anybody talking about it. I've yet to see one protest. I've yet to be tattled on by a student. So, I mean, like, it's just, I, I know for sure I will never be one of those people that says, you know, I don't really think this exists because it obviously does. But I think that things like social media and, you know, Fox, CNN, whatever you, source you, you get your
1: By BlackRock.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean, they make it seem like it is happening in every square foot of every institution in the world and that's
1: rewarded right like it's yeah. profitable yeah. to them to do that and yeah fuck my brain's going in so many directions with that because that's where my brain's going
0: <laughs> yeah because it's imp- like you said it's important to talk about but is it i guess it becomes how do we prioritize and allocate our time because it's important but if it's not affecting us if it's only marginally affecting our lives then do we put time into it or are there bigger issues?
1: I think some people prioritize it inappropriately. Mm. Or maybe this is again just my bias of Portland because some people will <coughs> bring it up as an issue. And this is going to sound bad, but I think it's the truth. Like some people make it an issue when it isn't. Like it's again their perception and reading too much into things that it just it doesn't need to be as complicated and as big a deal as we're making it. Not saying like condone things that obviously aren't okay, but like fuck man, not everything that's happening to you is because of your identity. Sometimes people just act like jerks and sometimes you act like a jerk and they're responding negatively to you because you're acting like a jerk. It's not because of who you are.
0: Right, right. People could be assholes no matter how much melanin is in their skin or their status or, or anything like that. And it's funny, The I want to say two weeks ago was the first time ever in this culture war that I heard any little remark, like a social justice buzzword. It was the first time ever that I heard it anywhere in public, in real life. Really? First time ever. Yes, in all oh, of this time. Such
1: a different experience over here.
0: <laughs> really? Okay, I'm going to tell it to you, and then I want to hear your experience about it. Yeah, let's do it. So I took a new contract recently, and the the person that was transferring the cases over to me said something like, well, it, we're just really lucky that we have so much freedom here because the owner's been so great, even as a white male. And it felt uh. very forced. <laughs> felt really random. And in my head, I was thinking, well, this white male is the reason why um, many of us are making quite wonderful salaries <laughs> and we get to do whatever the hell we want. And it has nothing to do with the fact that he's a male or that he's white. Right. And you know, then that becomes, I didn't even say anything. The, I mean, I'm not, why would I push the issue? It's something that was brought up for 10 seconds and I kind of nodded and I said, okay, sure. <laughs> and then we moved on. But that was the only time I had, I've, I've heard anything like that.
1: I envy you. <laughs> yeah? I really do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so your people around you are more vocal. So they're not only keyboard warriors. They're those in-person. Oh,
1: no, 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 no. That's why there's so many problems is because it's no longer Ooh. on the keyboard.
0: Oh, wow. Okay, tell me
1: more. Oh, no. This is like Eugene and Portland in both mm-hmm. of my experiences in these cities, which I wasn't a big city person to begin with, and now I absolutely am not. Yeah. <laughs> But No, like <laughs> the conversations be. you see online, people will have that at bars. Like a couple of months ago, I went out with my buddies to just like a game bar, like one of those like old arcade ones mm-hmm. somewhere in town. And within the span of a couple minutes, I heard some lady at a table behind us say patriarchy. of uh, Oh my God. What was it? it? was some two. There were two other buzzwords. One of them was definitely patriarchy. One of them was. Wow. I think another one was ableism and one of them was internalized sexism, like all in the span of five minutes. And I was like, I <sighs> want to just go walk into traffic right now.
0: <laughs> Those are big ones too. Anything with internalized blank. I, I can't imagine actually someone actually saying that in public.
1: Well, you haven't <laughs> come, to <Portland. laughs>
0: come, to come to Portland. Wow. That. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I guess if it's part of the culture and it's being reinforced, yeah. uh, and, you know, on an individual on a group wide level, because I haven't seen much, much consequence come from this other than the positive outcomes.
1: Well, what do you mean?
0: In terms of the, the the hurling of the buzzwords, the tribalism, arguably getting worse, or at least at at best staying the same. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I haven't really seen any negative outcomes for these people that engage in this behavior. I don't, but again, I don't know if they're losing relationships, but from, from where I'm standing, it looks like it has, we've talked about social currency before and that seems to still be a very valuable coin of the realm. So.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately I think you're right.
0: And I don't know, what do you think it would take to, to change that with, with that being so heavily emphasized? Now,
1: fuck dude I don't know <laughs> I don't know either like because I think about this a lot and I know you and I have talked about this before too but uh my personal standing currently at least is just waiting for other people to realize like they're kind of going through the Dunning-Kruger effect are you familiar with what that is yes yeah the graph of like oh I'm learning a lot I am like Peak master expert. Oh, the valley of like humility, and I don't know shit. And then it's like, okay, mm-hmm. then it starts to level out. Like the learning curve of yeah, you're not that hot shit. Chill out. Like I'm kind of waiting for people to go through their process with it and realize, oh, maybe this is a little bit more complicated. Maybe life isn't as complicated I'm making it. Or like we can at least have control over our perception of it. Of do I want this to be this way? Because you feed it with your attention right
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So i'm kind of just gonna quietly sit and wait for other people to go through their process because it's not like you and i can do anything other than engage no. in conversations. be like okay well what do you think about that
0: is that sure really
1: what you think? you're like well have you considered this other alternative and like slowly but gently and consistently encourage that thought expansion outside of the fundamentalist real like literal moral assigning of whatever you want to insert here, whether it's identity or opinions or fucking whatever. But I don't know. My life has been a lot more simple and nice when I've just decided, fuck this, fuck this ideology. I just want to go live in the forest, have a farm, some chickens, name them all the same. (laughs) They're all going to be named Nugget.
0: Oh, there's going to be 14 different Nuggets. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, That's hilarious because, okay, would they stay alive or would they like become chicken nuggets?
1: Well, that's the joke, right? Because if someone were to ask, is nuggets still okay? Well, technically, yes, just not this one that you're eating. (laughs) But technically, yeah, the other nuggets are still all right.
0: He's going through an identity crisis of his own. So he's in a
1: different state. (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. It's fine.
0: Um, I, I've heard people say before, in, in reference to the culture war, like people like you and me are like, well, all we really can do is wait. How how do, we can't move things on a mass scale, and oh, because no. that would involve trying to get a mass scale to at least be impressionable and humil- and have enough humility to be open to seeing things differently, which won't ever happen. That's that's never been the way human the human species works. No. Some have said. We just need to wait it out. The pendulum's going to naturally swing back. Others have said it's not enough to wait. We need to do all of the take all of these actions, like boycotting Bud Light, the whole thing with Dylan Mulvaney, um, boycotting no Target. No <laughs> oh, see, this is great. Good for you.
1: <laughs> I live under a rock on purpose because I'm tired of this shit.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. So that we won't dive too much into it. But what it's become is. You know, conservatives are. are Whoa, boycot- this is the gay beer. The what?
1: The gay beer. Yes, the gay beer. Oh, okay. Never mind. I do know about it. Why yes. is everyone pissed?
0: <laughs> yeah, everyone is pissed because Bud Light made a. I think it was a six pack only for Dylan Mulvaney with his face on it, or with her face on it, and they they sent it to Dylan, and everyone was like, "Oh my god." Bud Light is encouraging gender ideology because I think that the the perception was they're selling these Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light cans in stores. And so oh, people think That's not me. what happened. No, it was like they just made a pack for Dylan and then sent the pack to Dylan, but it was never meant to be a like a a commercial, you know, circulated, thing. Yeah, a commercial thing, exactly. Um, Oh God.
1: Okay. So So.
0: yeah. So in in that perspective, I can, I can see both sides. I I certainly try to at least do I think that, making Dylan Mulvaney on a can of Bud Light would necessarily do anything for the LGBTQ plus community. I don't really know. No. No, (laughs) Uh, no. (laughs) Yeah. And do I think boycotting it is doing anything for anybody else other than a little ego ping? No, no. Uh, So (laughs) now both groups are just pissed at each other. And like you said, good reason. So stupid. And everyone's attention is feeding all of this stuff
1: when will we learn that we do <laughs> not have to feed everything with our attention and that actually yes. just making a decision mm-hmm. to go somewhere else with it is actually in our best interest and it doesn't feed dumb crap.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because quite frankly, I would think that if anyone that saw the, the Bud Light thing as, as particularly a, a large issue or a red flag or whatever you want to call mm-hmm. it, I think that, actively trying to not comment on it um, would have pissed off the other group even more than the way that people were reposting it 700 times and saying look at this can you believe this and it's like you're, you're just playing into the hands of the people that you claim to oppose and yeah. e- engaging in the exact same behavior just on you know the opposite end of of the spectrum
1: yep agreed <laughs> <laughs>
0: So this being said, with some of the behavior we see, mostly for my end on social media, your end on social and in person, do you think that a lot of this is due to people having underlying personality disorders? Or do you think that it's more of just like a tribal instinct
1: gone awry? I think saying it's an underlying personality disorder would be way too extreme of a language to use. I would say like, okay, don't get me wrong. I could see where an argument would be made of, Hey, maybe these people have, they need some support around developing a sense of self
0: mm-hmm. for
1: whatever various reasons that could definitely be true. But I think if we were to say like, all oh, this is like cluster B probably yeah. not because it's,
0: yeah. it's
1: too big for it to mm-hmm. just be that. this, at least in my understanding of it, the way I'm thinking about it, like this seems more cultural
0: and I think it's
1: people getting hooked on things that they do feel passionate about, Mm -hmm. but they're so committed or something's happening in the zeitgeist somewhere where Mm -hmm. that passion gets hooked and then dragged through things that aren't healthy. And then they're taken to a place of unhealth and unhealthy relating.
0: I I really like the way you put that and the point you made is a really good one about all of this being too big to qualify as a personality disorder because you and me know personality disorders are quite rare. Um, at yeah. least the more severe ones and even the less severe ones, they're all they, they comprise very small portions of the population. So for you know the entire state of Oregon <laughs> or the entire state of Illinois to conveniently or coincidentally develop a personality disorder right around the time when a cultural cultural shift is happening, I think yeah. that's a really great point to, to bring to light. That's wild. Okay. now. We talked about this right before we started recording. Scott Barry Kaufman has he wrote an article called The Excessive Need to Matter. Uh-huh. And in it, a really quick summary was: Is it unhealthy to constantly feel like we need to be represented a hundred percent of the time? Is one hundred percent inclusion impossible? And are we overdoing acceptance? You made a post recently that reads clients need providers that don't collude with their victim narrative. Do you think that these things go hand in hand? Clients need excessively to matter and their therapist plays into the hands of here's all the ways that I think you matter.
1: It could. I don't think it does inherently, but I think it could become a slippery slope depending on what's happening, particularly Mm -hmm. in the therapeutic relationship. And I'm going to be really I'm going to try my best to be careful here because this is where it gets like, if I make broad statements, it's like, well, there's always going to be the exception. And you know, pitfalls that I hope are obvious. Yeah. But if someone comes in and sometimes for various reasons, regardless of what they are and the identities that a person holds, there can be a narrative that serves like I'm getting hurt by this and I'm always going to be hurt by this. But the problem is therapeutically speaking, that would be considered a stuck point. Mm-hmm. And in order to effectively help someone in a therapy setting, you have to address the stuck point. And the job is to affect change, not yeah. indulge it and get the person to like you. Because if that happens, then that's enabling someone and they're not going to get healthy. Mm. So I'm not saying this from a place of judgment, but I am yeah. going to say very firmly of like, this is part of the job of what counselors are supposed to do. And somewhere again, and pop psychology and the z- cultural zeitgeist we're in, I think some wires got crossed somewhere. We can speculate why. I have a big finger to point at other mental health providers on social media. Not necessarily mm. that it's all the fault, but it's just not the right platform. But there's been a misunderstanding of, oh, Therapy is where I'm supposed to go to feel good. I'm going to get the parent that I always wanted, but wasn't able to get via my therapist, which is also a phenomenon that can be considered um, a projection identification, where someone kind of assigns a role to their provider and then just enacts old patterns that probably aren't happening. But what can happen and where this gets stuck from what I'm seeing is when people take too soft and gentle of an approach and they are overly focused on affirming and validating emotions, which are important to do, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: that's not the only part of the job. You have to bring in a balance of, okay, I have to challenge and redirect you because that is how you're going to get healthy. Mm
0: -hmm. Sometimes
1: for people reflecting and mirroring is Mm -hmm. enough and they're able to figure it out. But frankly, that is just not an appropriate generalization to make of like, that's what everyone needs. Some people need more of a hands-on approach and to be called out and be like, look, I totally understand why you're feeling this way. However, Mm -hmm. that behavior was out of line. You can't be doing that. How is that serving you? We have got to come up with some different ideas.
0: Mm -hmm. Would that be part of the the CBT framework that we had talked about when I first brought this up before we started recording?
1: I think so. Yeah. Because the basis of CBT is if you change the way you're thinking about something, it's going to change how you feel which mm-hmm. is going to change how you act both with yourself and to others in the world. So if you're thinking about something in the ways of this person is oppressing me, this person is hurting me, well guess what? That's really going to fuck with your psyche and I'm not saying that in like a dramatic way. I mean like that has been shown through many years of study to impact your sense of self and your mental well-being. It's that kind of idea of the brain is looking to make sense of things. But unfortunately that can sometimes lead to confirmation bias of I'm going to see what I'm looking for because I want to see it. And Oh, there was evidence of it right there. So therefore it must be true. And the only way to disrupt that is to challenge the way someone's thinking about it and be like, Hey, that thought pattern, what you're just doing, that's actually not conducive to your larger well-being." Let's find to think- look at it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, ideally if, if we all learned the basic, principles and tools of CBT, I think it would save us all a lot of frustration <laughs> in, in cases that we talked about a little bit ago, like the whole knee jerk reaction to something like gay beer, or, or whatever it may be. Where I have a hard time figuring out where to go next is because our culture so widely reinforces the maladaptive response. Yeah. And these people, oh, many people aren't contacting again, any sort of problem, negative consequence of faulty thinking. I mean, where do we go from there other than, I mean, how many times can you tell someone, Hey, that might not be the issue because they, they have their entire pool of, you know, selected instances that they believe Mm -hmm. are contradictory to whatever the counselor thinks. I
1: guess the way I handle it personally is trying to meet them at the emotional level because I do also specialize in grief. So sometimes I'll just pull from my toolbox there and be like, yeah, it sounds like you're feeling X, Y, Z emotion. I can't imagine how that must feel and just kind of sit with that because I am a little bit of a squishy person too. Like I love feelings. I love poetry and romance and shit. But yeah. <laughs> the issue is that can't be the only part of the psyche we're operating from. Right? Yeah, If a psyche is unbalanced, there's going to be, inevitably some sort of unhealth like it has to be balanced so when i go to the emotional realm what i'll do then after reflecting that and kind of talking about like yeah how does that feel because i think many of us can relate even if our identities are different all of us have gone through experiences of feeling scared of feeling worried that we're going to be judged of feeling rejected of feeling like you know we're the odd one out and sometimes that's true But that doesn't mean we can't find our people or find other ways to adapt and fucking figure it out. Yeah. So once that's kind of leveled and talked out, kind of see, okay, did you say what you needed to say? Because a large part of grief is having an accumulation of uncommunicated feelings, whatever they may be. And then kind of bringing back in, okay, now that that's been addressed and attended to, Can we come back over here and focus a little again about, okay, did this way of thinking about it really serve you? What are the other possibilities? It's kind of like that uh, the Socratic questioning of, am I thinking this way? Am I feeling this way? What's the evidence for it? What's the evidence against it? Could I be jumping to conclusions and kind of doing that, uh, for lack of a better word, like self-interrogation?
0: Yeah, like helping people come to their own conclusions, making helping them realize that it might be their idea. Because sometimes I feel like when we're like, or at least we're trying to um, identify faulty thinking in other people, it can feel like an attack, whether you're in therapy or not. It's just a very difficult thing to wrangle with for the normal person. Um, So I really like how there is, it's important that you noted that there is a, there's degrees of, of validation and affirmation within therapy, but that doesn't comprise the entire therapeutic approach.
1: No. And if that is the extent of therapy, then there's a really big disservice that's happening.
0: Yeah. Someone um, wrote an article about this recently where uh, she said essentially that people are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on therapy when really they're the person they're seeing is doing just that. They're saying, you're right. That's so hard. That is so <sighs> painful. And that's, that's awful. That's, that's awful. And then the, for the people that are spending the money, it's especially awful that they probably can't see it that way. Well, yeah.
1: Cause at a certain point that does cross an ethical threshold of like, Hey, now you're just taking advantage of someone. I mean, maybe I'm going to get myself into some dicey waters here. But whenever I hear something like that, I'm thinking to myself like, oh, you're you're trying to do that as a compensation for a lack of skills. Like you don't know what to bring in.
0: Yes. Yes. Me and Meryl talked about that so many times where it's a it's a nice very this saccharine cover up. This yeah. is it's a cover up essentially for incompetence, and I don't say that in a way that's saying "ha look at you, you don't know shit." But it's saying it, it, it's our job to, if if we're working with a certain population, we don't know enough about, or generally, if our clinical skills aren't where they need to be, it's our job to obtain that information and learn to integrate that information. And I think because our culture incentivizes so much of this stuff where it's kind of just acceptance and inclusion and just be happy no matter what, you don't really have to have skills anymore. I mean, you really just have to use the five to 10 buzzwords of the week.
1: Unfortunately. Yeah. And And I think what's sad. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I'd like to hear your thoughts on this too, but I, for one, am a very big skeptic of what it means to have trauma-informed care because the emphasis seems to be so much on comfort rather than health. And I was reading through some, God, I can't remember what it was. It was like some university's like little pamphlet of like, this is how we're defining trauma-informed care. And one of them was, removing emotionally stimulating or like provocative material for the traumatized person. And I'm like, that is not, first of all, people with trauma deserve better than yes. to be infantilized like that. Like that is insulting.
0: It and secondly,
1: that helps in the moment, but that is a band-aid. That is a very short-term band-aid that does not contribute to their long-term health at all. Like, it wreaks to havoc
0: that. too. Yeah to let them just avoid things. And that has been my huge, huge issue with trauma informed care is not only does it fly directly in the face of any literature about treating uh, PTSD, yeah. but it, like you said, everything is so centered on, well, if it makes you uncomfortable, then just don't find a way to get out of it. I That is absolutely insane to me
1: no it undermines all resiliency of the human spirit that we have for literally thousands of years not just exclusive to the realm of mental health documented for so 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 long throughout human history like uh oh my gosh there's uh oh no i'm blanking on his name i'm gonna totally kick myself for that later but there's a, a therapist that was alive in the fucking holocaust Ooh. And he came out and every day his, some of his buddies would come up to him and be like, holy shit, like so many terrible things happen. And he was like, yeah, well, at least our bones aren't broken. Like that's wow. the power of positive psychology. But sometimes you have to iterate to people. Okay. Not all positivity is toxic positivity. Like Correct. there's a lot of power to this to just practice gratitude and being like, yeah, you know what? This fucking sucks right now. But it won't suck forever. There's light at the end of the tunnel. I'll get through it. And sometimes we have to get good at talking ourselves through it. But for fuck's sake, to just surrender to pessimism is not gonna do you or your health or your community of those around you any yeah. good.
0: I don't even understand the the basis as to why. I mean, when you ask any person that is a strong supporter of trauma-informed care, Much of it is just like this muddled explanation as to why they believe it's important and imperative even that we avoid discomfort. But then when you really start practicing your Socratic questioning and and asking in a very genuinely curious way, not a gotcha sort of way, they have a very hard time explaining how it's beneficial outside of that initial, you know, fear based response of I don't like this, so I'm not going to do it. And, you know, I had Dr. George Bonanno on the podcast to talk about trauma. I mean, this guy invented basically trauma research. And what one of the really important points he made was over 65% of people will potentially experience a potentially traumatizing event and will not develop post-traumatic symptoms. I mean, that's a, that's a large majority of people that yeah. will never actually develop anything clinically wrong. But we make it sound as if it's the inverse, like 65% of people will develop PTSD.
1: Well, and I think a lot of that does come back to like there's cognitive distortions in the way that they're perceiving it, like they're undermining themselves. And I don't know, I get I get my feathers ruffled whenever I hear trauma informed care now, which is really sad. Like, I wish I didn't genuinely because I think the intention behind it is actually really good. The problem is in the execution because it's too vague and it's too subjective. And when we do that, it gives, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to spit it out. Look, people with trauma and who come seeking mental health services often have impaired judgment. If we allow that to take the first seat over the clinical expertise of the provider, which hopefully they have and have earned and can demonstrate, I hope, we're in some bad fucking waters because they're going to continue to get stuck and unhealthy and it's going to perpetuate, if not exacerbate. And we can't let that take the forefront. Sometimes we have to be the voice of reason and be like, look, totally hear you. Doesn't feel good. Super uncomfortable. This is another thing I posted about. It might feel similar. It is not the same because you feel threatened doesn't mean that you are threatened. You have to work on clearing that coloring of distortion in your lens of perception and see things clearly. That is gonna be one of the best things you can do for your trauma recovery. But if the narrative is, oh, someone has trauma and it's really stressing them out, which can be totally valid, then that means the environment has to change. And frankly, the environment usually doesn't. It's the person needs to build and practice skills.
0: And then like, even, even if the person were to change their environment, let's just indulge this idea that we could avoid, uh, things that are triggering or, or, you know, distressing how many, what is, I just don't know how anybody could think this makes any sense. Like. Because we all know how this works, where you know this banana sitting next to me might be triggering me for whatever reason, and then our brain builds associations with a banana and something else, and over time sure. these these associations just accumulate. There's only so many kitchens you could avoid, homes, towns, cities, states, countries. Yeah, it's your-
1: debilitating.
0: Yeah. And I mean, these are people that end up isolated in a corner of like, who's like Howard Hughes, you know, like pissing into a a a water bottle because you're afraid to leave your house. I mean, that's where I honestly see this going, because we have such a tendency to take things to to an extreme degree of it's their lived experience. We can't take their truth away from them. It is our job as providers to make sure that we, you know, essentially lubricate their whatever theories they have about themselves. Well, that's where
1: it comes back to the colluding with the narrative again, right? Because it's like feeding it instead of being like, yeah, I can see where at some points that might have been true, but that's not true anymore. And where I see that really commonly is when people have something from childhood where it kind of brings them back to it, whether it was traumatic or not, doesn't necessarily have to be because we all are human and have adverse shit happen in our childhoods usually. yeah, Like they'll go back to that place and back to that feeling. And it's true for most people, like there is a loss, or not loss, but like a lack of power and agency in childhood, but that's not true when you're an adult. Yeah, And we need to learn that. We have agency and the power of choice that we didn't have as a kid when we're adults. And if we need to get up and leave the room because we're having a tough time, that's fine. But we can't demand the room to change and cater to us because, frankly, trauma isn't a green card to, like, wield out as a power move and be like, well, I have trauma, so therefore I must be right and everything I say has to go. Like, that Correct. is really dangerous. But that's yes. what I see happen sometimes in Portland.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I- <sighs> Because that's that's a very valuable form of, you know, a, a nice little immediate ladder to the top of a social chattering class it's is to have pass. some. Yep. Yep. It's like the fast pass at Six Flags Great America. <laughs> like yeah. I'm going to skip over all of these normies because of whatever problem I have, which don't get me wrong, could be very, a legitimate problem that someone is struggling with. But again, it's believing that people who are apparently either more fragile or more wounded than others deserve some sort of specialized custom reality for themselves. I think that's very
1: strange. It's strange. And I mean, I'm tr- I'm really trying not to sound like a jaded jerk, but it's not helpful to anyone. Like, it really does undermine everyone.
0: It makes everyone seem like they could you know, break at, at a moment's notice, like everyone's made of glass. And the the impact that that has on relationships, whether they be personal, romantic, professional, what have you, it's just, I don't know how we're going to pick up the pieces of a lot of this
1: stuff. Fuck dude. I don't either. (laughs) (laughs) I mean it like it's just, it's so big at this point. And that's not to say, I don't think there's any hope, but I just, I don't know what it looks like. Like, I have some ideas, but it's just, it's such a big cultural thing. I don't know what the fuck we're going to do.
0: So the, you brought up one of the words that's important that could technically, has been wielded as a buzzword, agency and autonomy. And feeling that someone with a diagnosis, whether self-diagnosed, real or imagined, they need acceptance and agency and autonomy. We can't stigmatize them. Let's give them all sorts of agency. Did you hear uh, the the podcast or read the book for that matter about a case with someone named Michael Louder?
1: No, I'm not familiar.
0: Okay, so Michael Lauder had schizophrenia, but he flourished at Yale University and he was on his way to being a lawyer. People perceived it as, well, he seems like he's doing really well. I don't want to say anything because even though he has schizophrenia and we're seeing some erratic behavior that could be concerning, we need to make sure we give him his agency. And he ended up in a complete psychotic break and he killed his pregnant girl for, or his pregnant wife. Uh And when his family was informed about everything going on, what the, um, the journalist reporting out on this said was people in his family, the look on their face was we should have acted sooner. So there was this general perception of, we saw this, we were worried, but we were so concerned with accepting him and letting him do his own thing because People with mental illness need agency that we just kind of let him fall through the cracks, and but even a case like that, which is awful, that's not clearly enough to to get people going back towards reality.
1: No, like where my mind goes again is like the impaired judgment mm-hmm. and placing priority. Like, don't get me wrong, acceptance is great and agency is great, but everything has a threshold of like, okay, this is the line that's drawn where if we go past this, something has to be different. Did you ever see uh, the movie girl with the dragon tattoo? Yes. Okay. So, you know, towards the end where the detective guy is outside of big, bad murder boys house. And he like invites them in for a drink or something. And the detective is like, you're going to fucking kill me. You're totally going to fucking <laughs> try and kill me. But he goes <laughs> yeah. in anyway. And then, murder guy that calls him out on. He's like, it's really weird what we do in order to seem polite. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. Like that's what it reminds me of.
0: Yes. Yes. And I, I I have had a few conversations with other practitioners from similar disciplines and I've asked the same questions. What do you think it will take to get us back to, I guess, not the way things were before because things evolve, but Mm -hmm. things that are more based in reality. And he said, It's going to have to be uh, lawsuits or violence, like violence at at a larger level Mm. is what it would take for people to realize, wow, these these ideas that could have been very well intentioned are having horrendous outcomes because a few public tantrums and, you know, Fox News getting upset or CNN getting upset is not going to do anything.
1: Fuck, that's bleak.
0: It is bleak. And I, I'm not trying to sound doom and gloom.
1: Oh, no, I know.
0: But I kind of wonder that, too. I mean, we—if if extreme behavior would probably warrant some sort of extreme consequence to, for us to be snapped out of whatever delusion we're in, right? I mean, I, I can't imagine that people who are this steep in whatever ideology they've adopted would all of a sudden come to and say to themselves, you know what? I think I've taken it too far. (laughs) I I imagine something really dramatic would have to happen for them to be able to come to, to that
1: sort of conclusion. It might. I mean, I hope not, but people only change when they want to change and when they see benefit for it. Like that's kind of the framework of motivational interviewing, right? It's like, okay, what do you have to gain from this? What do you have to lose from this? But, ugh, I don't know. I think other than, doing what we've been doing of like look firm but gentle here's what's going on here's why it's not working do you really want to continue going down that path there are other options I don't know because some people and I again not saying this from a judgment place like god knows I've been stubborn in the past too like I'm by no means above this but like sure when some people are so stuck in something sometimes we don't want to hear something so we don't but we have to go and do that inner work and kind of sit our ass down, sit with ourselves in some solitude and ask ourselves some tough fucking questions because that's the only way to really grow as an individual.
0: The last thing I wanted to, to ask you about was actually, I'm kind of between two things right now. You
1: could ask both. Perfect.
0: Okay. One was something you mentioned a little bit earlier, but that it, that's it, inner is enmeshed with all of this because of, heavily it's we're inundated with it should social media be a platform for therapists so this isn't to say that people like providers can't go on social media you and me both do <laughs> yeah. um but should there be parameters around it and if so wh- how who gets to define those parameters what would they look like how could people be smarter about the information they absorb on social media
1: I mean, this is just my own opinion, but I wish people would stop using really big academic words and just kind of go back (laughs) to basics because when there's really, when the ivory tower leaks into the real world, like weird shit happens, not because people aren't intelligent and can't understand, but because there's too many conflating definitions or working definitions of what things are and misunderstandings happen. So, again, just my own personal shit, but yeah. <laughs> I have to keep things really simple and like if I can't go out into the woods and explain to like a random like fucking oh my god, what are they called? That's another stereotype for Portland. Timber guy, lumberjack. Fuck, that's the word, lumberjack. Oh, if I can get yeah,
0: well... <laughs> and, a granola on. eating lumberjack? Is that is that the same thing?
1: Usually the two don't go together. And if they do, it's because really? they're from Portland. And uh, okay. they're not. those are just hipsters.
0: <laughs> I'm getting all of my
1: stereotypes wrong. <laughs> it's okay. I wish I didn't know these things, but I do. So here we are. But like, really, if you can't go and explain to someone who has a completely different cultural context of you, like, hey, this is what I think of this idea. Like, just simple shit. Like, we don't have to throw around big words to stroke our own egos. That's just masturbatory. We don't need to do it. It's weird.
0: Do you think it's the same thing as covering up incompetence, just a way to hide it?
1: I sometimes wonder. And Mm -hmm. it's hard because, like, social media can be a really great way of exchanging information. Yeah. But... Social media has this illusion of a two-way relationship and conversation when that's not what's happening. And there's also an illusion of all of us being in the same learning cohort, which we would get in schools, but online, all of those barriers break down. So we all think we're learning the same things at the same time in a similar way. We're definitely not. So there's always this confusion of like, well, I'm having this conversation, but they're having a different conversation at the same time.
0: That's a that's a really interesting way of, of putting it because there is no, aside from the obvious that there's no perception of nonverbal cues or even verbal cues, the intonation of our voice, our facial expressions, whatever, uh, all of the little tiny details that that make a conversation a conversation. What's become really interesting is you know I sometimes have messaged people back and forth that I've never spoken to, uh, mm-hmm. because different time zones we, quote unquote, met on social media, which is just so odd to say. Um, Sometimes people refer to their battles in comment section as conversations. And while part of me, yeah, part of me says, I don't want to, you know, it's not my, um, it's not my place or my role to police the way we speak. But it is important to note that social media is not real life. And if we're actually believing that these exchanges in typed format are conversations, that's very concerning to me.
1: Yeah, I see what you mean. Because there's not that dual feedback. Like it's, it, yeah. it's taking turns monologuing.
0: Yes, Yes. And those many of those comments back and forth are edited or deleted and then retyped to to fit whatever, you know, we're kind of contriving a conversation versus we could do that verbally face to face. Sure. But it's a lot harder to do um, because you you don't have all of these little avenues of, oh, he can't see my face. She can't see, hear my voice. Um, You can't edit and erase things that you say in person. It's it's a lot less, it's a lot less forgiving. And I think that's why so many people don't do it.
1: Don't forgive on the internet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I don't know. Have you found, I feel like cancel culture, quote unquote, uh-huh. has I'm not going to say it's been eliminated. It definitely feels like it's died down in some ways. So the very public humiliations of, of people for minuscule things from 15 years ago, um, the public firing and canceling of celebrities or practitioners. I haven't seen a lot of that. I don't have you, or
1: I think there's definitely a change of the tides definitely I think more people are writing about it and I think part of it well I would chalk it up to is like writers like Molly Francis and Clementine Morgan who are in the heart of it that because usually cancel culture is like a very like well I guess I hesitate to say fringe anymore but it was in a very particular subculture of radical leftist social justice intermixings Uh and people like that were like in that scene and talking about it and it's kind of continued to ripple out in a way where I'm like oh my god thank Think fuck, like some common sense is coming back.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's been comforting. It has been comforting. And I think that what I've seen too, and um, I forget who, who brought this to my attention, some who may have adopted this very radical left ideology in the past years are now coming back and saying, I never said that what are you talking about? That's crazy. Why would I ever say that? So we're getting into this sort of gaslighting where people maybe are realizing that they sounded a little bit like an extremist, which is great. There's some self-awareness there. But instead of saying, yeah, I I really got swept up in in whatever I was reading or thinking or feeling, it's, I never once said that. How could you possibly accuse me of saying that? I've seen a lot of that.
1: This is going to sound really weird, but bear with me for a second. I actually think okay. that's a continuation of the same thing of I can't stand to be perceived as being wrong.
0: Yes. Yep. The the moral purity.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I think it's it's just changing outfits again.
0: Yeah. So when, when all of these ideologies now, let's say the world went poof and our slate got wiped clean, a person that is obsessed with being morally pure or perceived as morally pure. Uh, they, they will just mold into whatever the, the, the flavor of the week is. And when that flavor of the week somehow maybe socially punishes them, they will find a way to make sure that it wasn't their fault. They never said it. It was so-and-so it was X, Y, Z. Man. That's so sad. That's so sad.
1: Cause I know. I don't know where you go, but my mind first goes to like back to that sense of self of why are you rejecting yourself so much? What where's that fear coming from and why is it holding yeah. you back? Yeah.
0: I understand the pain of being wrong, especially if you surround yourself with people that are yes people, or surround yourself with people that have Um, whether inadvertently or intentionally done a number on you to the point where you feel like you always need to be right. I understand the excruciating pain of being wrong and how it it actually can, it can be very, it it can feel earth shattering at least. sure. Um, it, It reminds me of this concept of moral injury. Have you heard of this concept? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I still don't know how I feel about it. I think that the, The the working definition of it is a little bit dramatic for my personal taste. But I think there's some truth to the idea that having very strongly near and dear held beliefs, um, either exposed or contradicted or um, argued against, can feel like a huge hit to your ego or even reality. Um, I still just... I think my own personality just, just still just gets so frustrated seeing people on incapable of getting over that.
1: <laughs> well, it's a. I'm going to be repeating myself like a broken record. Holy shit! Sorry, this is just what we're <laughs> in for today. It to me, my mind sparks like okay, this sounds like there's difficulty in skills of emotional differentiation of. Here's what I'm feeling. Here's what you're feeling. And then individuation where you recognize here's the line of where I end and you begin and you begin to practice empathy while remaining separate because there's not that enmeshment.
0: And then it reminds me of the the toxic positivity thing you mentioned earlier is we we can't possibly get through something because then we're being toxically positive about it. Yeah. we must sit in it because that's acceptance and that's considered something that's important to feel and to to feel all the feelings and work through it and um but we can't work through it enough to where we heal because then we're feeding into toxic positivity like there's always some sort of weird accidental little break in this circle of insane ideology in, in every field, not just therapy related fields that, that keeps everybody going in this hamster wheel. And any, it feels like any explanation you try to give to prove that we are more resilient than we believe we are or realize we are. There's always someone or some group that is saying, no, you're not, you can't do that. What are you talking about? And that just, that still blows my mind and infuriates me at the same time.
1: I hear you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> has this been too doom and gloomy <laughs> i don't
1: think so i think if it was doomy and gloomy then we wouldn't have to be the back and forth of well what about this and like okay yeah. but there's a different way of looking at it if it was doomy and gloomy like man we'd be on a one-track road and you'd know it
0: yeah we'd be like we are boycotting therapy
1: <laughs> it's all downhill from here how would we do that
0: any of my supervision students that are listening stop what you're doing go into computer science or something else
1: <laughs> i'm Just gonna happy go we're fire not myself
0: yeah i'm gonna fire myself that might be the best way to go about it no i no. don't I, I can't imagine that even as bad as things get i can't say that now is the worst that it's been i i don't it's all of the years and the months now, and and the the shades of this culture shift are all kind of just congealed together for me. So I can't tell you if this is the worst it's ever been. But we mentioned in the beginning that it it affects my day to day so minimally yeah. that I, I wouldn't ever see a reason to not continue to do the work that I do, or at least continue to talk about it
1: with different people yeah what about you my world is so enmeshed with it because I am a queer trans person it that works in the queer trans community and cancel culture is so much a part of queer culture right now like it's actually really yeah. sad because yeah like already a potentially at least like vulnerable population that's just ripping each other to shreds
0: I've seen a lot of that In the LGBTQ world.
1: Yeah. Like, as soon as a breakup happens, you know it's just a matter of time before one or both of them just say, like, that person's abusive. And it's like, actually, that's not abuse. Like, this is just Mm -hmm. conflict. And, like, come on. Like, I know conflict is hard, but sometimes you just have to agree to disagree. And that doesn't mean your ex is, like, this devil incarnate. Like, chill out a little bit.
0: Like, a, a male can be annoying without being a narcissist. Uh, (laughs) like these extreme conclusions that we go to for, for very routine feelings of adulthood is really what they are. It's like a breakup can't be a breakup anymore. Um, Meryl brought up the really good point recently of, did you notice Kayla, there aren't shitty jobs anymore. Everyone just has to be burnt out. Like nothing could just be simple, like that simple language that you mentioned, the common sense, the 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 normal vernacular that used to be used, like my job blows, is now mm-hmm. I am experiencing burnout as a result of my employer not tending to my emotional inner child. I mean, your job just probably sucks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, your husband might not be a narcissist. Maybe you are part of the problem. Maybe you guys just got upset at each other. I mean- how how much we twist things to and again the, the confirmation bias to make it seem like we're absolving ourselves of any you know responsibility having to do with it I empathize with that feeling I do yeah because I've done it we've all done it sure um, it, it's just the fact that we're we're rewarding it that uh, that continues to be concerning.
1: What's well, the academia language again? Like one of my friends says all the time, she'll be like, I just miss when people were like assholes and douchebags and not like, <laughs> exactly not like, and abusers. Yes. Like, what the fuck is this? And I'm yes.
0: like, <laughs> yeah, maybe it's not your inner child. Maybe you're just a bitch, right? Yeah. Maybe you have a bitchy personality.
1: <laughs> but God forbid, we could possibly ever be contributing to the, our own suffering, right? Because it's everyone else's problem because we want to bypass that responsibility.
0: Wait, okay, Alex. Did you just say that people contribute to their own suffering?
1: I did. Oh my god.
0: I think I'm suffering moral injury. That's.
1: (laughs) Oh. You know what? You should take a mental health day. I think your inner child would really benefit. I'm gonna
0: need a mental health month. um, Because as it's your job to make sure that I that you are affirming my truth, and that's my truth that I need a month And you matter. How do people do this? I don't know. (laughs) You matter. You are worthy. That's a
1: good one. I haven't
0: heard
1: that. (laughs) Do I matter? I don't know.
0: You do, baby. You do matter. You are 100% worthy. You are above and beyond any other existing human in the world. Um, And anything that goes wrong is not your fault.
1: Wow. Thank you. That really feeds my superiority complex.
0: Totally. It's not a superiority complex. It's you living your truth and uh-huh. understanding and getting in touch with your inner self.
1: Okay. Not to like I- extend our time too much, but I had another <laughs> thought. I just like talking to you, first of all.
0: I but love also, talking to you.
1: <laughs> Alfred Adler, the guy who like kind of coined the term superiority complex, yep. his like main fundamental thing is like that can't exist without an inferiority complex. Uh-huh. And, that's another step point. and why is no one. I mean, remove the words of academia again because right? whatever. But fuck, like we can't blow our own egos to like overcompensate our own insecurities. And, like, can we have those conversations now? I think yeah. we're ready.
0: I think so too. I feel like the world is getting t- – I don't even know if it's a large portion of the world. So I'll just say – some are growing very tired of these circular conversations where it's always just, you know, um, this is why I'm superior. This is why I deserve more. This is why blah, 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 blah. Um, I think that's growing very tiresome for people.
1: Yeah. We didn't even crack the door open, really, to even some more controversial things like politics and religion and how that's really, like, I mean, we kind of dabbled on it a little bit. Yeah. I mean... Maybe that could be a part three, but.
0: Oh my God, that should be. Are you, okay. So as, as a little, as a little teaser then. So when you refer to politics and religion, are you speaking solely about how um, much of our nation in America, at least I can't really speak for other parts of the world. We're moving much towards secularism and people don't believe or have like any faith system anymore. Are you talking about something different? Are you talking more about like political ideology taking on like this religious fundamentalism or am I just way off?
1: What was I thinking? What (laughs) am I thinking? (laughs) Yes, I I agree that I I think a lot of people are observing that phenomenon because I've seen a couple people write about it of like how politics is the new religion for many people. And I also have many ideas about how that ties back into a lot of queer culture and how that has continued to blow up cancel culture in that realm. But I meant even in the sense of like, let's just roll up our sleeves and really like get into some shit of like, yeah, how is all this intersecting with the political zeitgeist and maybe the lack of religious zeitgeist. Although I do see more people starting to kind of explore that realm more, maybe not in a Christian way, but in a spiritual way. But again, maybe that's just my little pocket of or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We can like... (laughs) cross <laughs> check each other because we're in different states.
0: Yeah. You know, I can't, I can't speak to it too much because I technically fall under the umbrella of, um, you know, people that are atheists. So I, I don't, I don't subscribe to any sort of religion.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and I, so, so that being said, I don't, it doesn't, it's not something that comes up in conversation for me. Um, I would be happy to entertain it if I did have friends and people that were religious. I, I just, I just don't. And so that being said, I feel that's something where I feel like I live under a rock where I have literally no frame of reference as to uh, if people our age, like millennial age are starting to move back towards religion or they're still kind of taking on political ideology as its own religion. I, I don't know.
1: I think that's where a lot of the fundamentalist comes from because that kind of framework kind of assigns moral value depending on, your sins or lack thereof or the inherent sin or the original sin, which depending on if we're bringing it back to like the place of category, some do have inherent or not. Anyway, that, that's more where like my train of thought was going.
0: Okay. I love that idea. We should schedule another one. Okay. To, to dive into it. All right, Alex, as we wrap up, do you have any thoughts for budding therapists people that are interested in becoming a therapist or a counselor someone that is intrigued by the field and wants to enter it but is also wanting to keep their wits about them
1: Ooh, what a good question thank you (laughs) yeah the first thing i want to say is that like you you just do have to be aware of like there is a really big ideological capture on the field right now i don't want to sit here and tell people what to think because frankly that's just not my fucking place like Yeah. Come to your own opinions, but you do need to come to your own opinions. We can't, like, the thing I really want to stress for anyone who's looking to go into this field is you really do have to think for yourself and come to whatever conclusion that may be. But the only way you're going to feel confident in your practice is to really ask yourself, what do I think? Why do I think this? And practice that good judgment of hearing, multiple differing perspectives and taking what works and leaving what doesn't.
0: Yeah. I love that. Seeking disconfirmation before confirmation has been a lifesaver in terms of, because if you, if you do it the the opposite way, you seek all of the reasons why you might be correct. It's almost impossible as humans with a built-in bias, a built-in confirmation bias to avoid the urge to continue looking only for things that support our view yeah so i almost think it's easier to go about it with the hypothesis that we are completely incorrect and trying to find all the reasons why we might be
1: yeah the other thing i would tack on too is avoid maybe not avoid reject the pressure that might be placed on you to adopt certain modalities that genuinely just don't feel like a good fit for you. Like not every therapist practice is the same. Part of that's modality, part of that style. But just because something's popular doesn't always mean it's effective for every client. And you're going to have to find the client that works well with you, not just the ideal concept of what you're wanting to do. Like really when it comes into praxis and material actions, what are you wanting to do?
0: Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Alex, thank you so much for coming back again. And I can't wait for our next conversation where we're really going to get into it.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm very much looking forward to it already.